0: Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. 106 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott here, Cam Moon alongside. Oilers getting set to travel from Los Angeles to Vegas this afternoon in advance of tomorrow's game one. I'd spend a couple extra days in California if I could, too. Why not? Why not? second hour of the show brought to you by world of spas aching after a long day world of spas offers tubs designed with your relief in mind rest recover and relax with world of spas alberta's number one swim spa dealer visit worldofspas.com all right playoff predictions locked in hold us to it that's what talk radio's for and we will get those up on Twitter. As soon as the show is over, it's busy. I'm, I'm kind of pulling double duty right now. I'm running the board. I'm, I'm talking as quickly and as accurately as I can, hoping that what I'm saying is right. And uh, so now is a great opportunity for me to just sit back and let you hear from the guy you actually want to hear from on this show. That being frank saravalli brought to you each week by the horses horse racing alberta hey it's opening day at century mile this saturday may 6th you'll be able to wager on the kentucky derby as well for more info head to thehorses.com we'll bring frank aboard with this is there a horse named skinner that's entered the kentucky derby can you confirm or deny that
1: I didn't see the uh, post list yet. Okay, so this is apparent... this. I'm is only what, I'm only an insider in one sport.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right, all right. We put you on the spot right off the bat, but it was Stoffer that suggested that there there's been a horse named Skinner entered in this Derby. So is is that a, a reflection of the? Calder Trophy Goaltender. Well, perhaps that'll remain a actually mystery. Confirm. <laughs> now,
1: sources say, KentuckyDerby.com says at least, Skinner is uh, in the number nine spot and is 20 to 1 for Saturday's race.
0: It was a hell of a comeback effort from him after surrendering an emotionally deflating goal, I would suggest. But the team rallied around him. It's a different team than it has been in years past. And the goaltender, Skinner, was able to be a part of a first-round victory for the Edmonton Oilers. So we'll see how Skinner does in the Kentucky Derby, Frank. But our Skinner is moving on to round two of the playoffs. And how about a, a thought on the job that he did in contributing to that series win?
1: Yeah, significant. Um, I like how when he did falter, whether it was the stick malfunction or whether it was being pulled earlier in the series, Jack Campbell replacing him for a bit, nothing really seemed to phase him. This was his first playoff test. This is his first sort of foray into this world, and it's not easy. There are going to be hiccups. There's really, you know, look at Andre Vasilevsky or any of the greats you don't get through the playoffs hiccup free. And so I thought the fact that he was able to regain his composure, his confidence has always been there. And I like that. He has just an ounce of swagger in his game. It's not, I think athletes today do a great job of walking a fine line between cocky and confident. And I think Skinner's, you know, the embodiment of that. and, as much as Jack Campbell may be sort of the perfect teammate, the guy that's always rooting for everyone, and you know even when he's not playing a great guy to have in tandem, I think you can tell that the guys really like playing for Skinner as well.
2: Yeah, you could see that. You could see it all season long, Frank, and, and definitely in the playoffs. Evan Bouchard had an amazing first round, uh, 10 points in six games. Of course, part of a a very, well, a historically good power play uh, through the regular season and through that one series with the Kings. What have you seen out of him here so far in the playoffs? Cam, I have to
1: say that I have done this with Bob, but I I need to eat some crow on, on Evan Bouchard. I was a little worried... Just at the time that the the trade was made for Matthias Ekholm, what the impact might be like taking Tyson Barry out of this lineup. And the truth is, if you look at the numbers, the power play actually got better with Evan Bouchard in the lineup. And it's been consistent. It's been productive. And what I like from him, too, is that, you know, they've provided ample support at even strength but also, like he just seems really comfortable. He he's always had that um, "I'm never rattled" type look about him, and it's part of the reason why he was able to jump into this league at such a young age. But I, I was always dying for a little more urgency from him, and I think you've seen some of that too. Like he's grown in a big, big way to the point where. I think the Oilers have a really difficult summer on their hands with how well he's played. In the sense that, yeah, is he likely heading towards a bridge contract? Yes, but he's in line for a really significant payday, and he's such a key cog and contributor. And to do that at age 23, like that—that that just speaks to the future of uh, of what the Oilers are building. That this isn't a one year, you know. Let's just you know pile everything in and go all in there's there's a real
0: long competitive window for this team Bouchard uh, tying the NHL record for the most power play goals by a defenseman with eight in a series or power play points not goals excuse me uh, so impressive stuff there from the youngster and, and I agree with you Frank that it was always that next level of intensity that we were looking for out of this player and I've seen him involved in scrums and I've seen him there with uh, with his hand wrapped around somebody else and, and it's it's good to see him engaging the way that he is uh, and
1: that, just, just to clarify like that wasn't necessarily what what I was hinting at in terms of like urgency. It's sometimes it's just urgency around the puck. Sure. Not, not. I don't think intensity's ever been his issue. It's like you, you want to see him speed up a little bit when you you sense the the need to do so. Um, a little more emergency or urgency in his game that way.
0: Talk to me about the fact that seven of eight of the teams that advanced were facing a series deficit. I mean, it's it to me it speaks to parity in the league. And I think that hockey as a whole is in a really good place in the NHL right now.
1: Well, it tells me that game one doesn't really mean anything. That um, sounds funny to say, because historically it's meant a great deal in terms of who takes the series. But if you consider the Leafs were throttled in game one, the Oilers, you know, choked away that lead and lost in OT. Like there were just moments that um, I think, you know, would have crippled some teams that, you know, even whether it was game one or trailing three, one, if you're the Florida Panthers, like there's multiple examples to show um, that, both leads in games and leads in series don't really mean much. We were one OT goal away from the Tampa Bay lightning force in game seven. Um, they obviously trailed three, one in that series. It yeah. parity is a thing. And I think what I'm most excited about these playoffs, you have eight teams left. Three of them have never won the Stanley cup. And of the five that are remaining, the most recent winner in that group is the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006, so it's been a while. Um, that's that speaks to me to be, um, you know, the excitement of these playoffs. Like, let's get some fresh blood. With all due respect to the Colorado Avalanche or the Tampa Bay Lightning or anyone else out there, let's let's crown a new champion this year. I think that
2: makes it fun. Fair enough. And of the 18 still remaining, I think you can make a solid argument for seven of the eight that could win it all. I'd I'd have Seattle maybe on the outside of that looking in. But for the other seven, you could probably make that argument. Frank, were you as surprised that Florida won that first round as I was?
1: I was just because it seemed so in the bag, like three to one in the series. And then even in game seven, you're thinking the Bruins are trailing two nothing in this game. They claw all the way back to take a 3-2 lead with multiple minutes left in regulation, and you're saying, like, there's no chance that this core, this veteran-laden team that's been built for this moment, this last dance that we've talked about all season long, is going to choke it away right now to the florida panthers who basically met a historically low bar to get in and i'm not talking about the 43 point gap between teams but 92 points like you have to go back 10 years to see a team get in with that few points and it's it is shocking um but I'm interested because you you said now this Florida team, you'd obviously be lumping them into that group of seven that could win. Like, the, the emotional component and aspect of this, not just game one, I think, between the Leafs and Panthers, but both those teams are coming off of some incredible highs. The Florida Panthers can no longer really be considered, um, you know, the upset team, the, the trendy, uh, upset pick and the Leafs winning their first series since 2004. Like they have a whole new clear set of expectations, which is the Eastern conference is wide open. This team should be competing for a Stanley cup, but can they get past the sort of success factor where it feels like almost everyone in that city has now breathed the sigh of relief thinking that, because they won a round that somehow this season is now deemed a success. Like I've been saying for months, anyone that thinks that has lost the plot. Like it's, it's four wins. You need 16 to hoist the Stanley Cup. It's, it's not a one-round tournament. So I, I think the players, at least from what I've read and heard, have done a good job focusing, but there's a real emotional aspect to how these teams gather themselves and their mindset now.
0: Let's look at the, the Bruins and where they go from here, Frank. I'd love your thoughts on, uh, again, it was such a, a historic team, but they, they added so much at the trade deadline. And, and I wonder what this team looks like next year. Obviously, we'll have to have, wait and, and see on the Bergeron front and that sort of, I mean, if there's even a remote chance that he comes back. Uh, but give me your thoughts on, on next year's Bruins. Well,
1: there's going to be changes. Uh, That's a given. There always are. When you load up at the deadline, you're mostly not able to keep a lot of the players that you um, acquired. I think they're going to try and take a run at re-signing Tyler Bertuzzi. I think they'd like to. Um, And for good reason, like he's a really talented player. I I called him Brad Marchand light. And that's essentially what he is. Um, But that means if you're looking at their salary cap picture, with the four and a half million dollars they have in bonus overages, if the cap is 83.5 next year, you're starting if you're the Bruins at 79. Probably means one of Grislyk and andor Carlo are gone. Um, that's on the back end. What do they do with Taylor Hall because he's someone that had six million dollars? And yeah, I know he was hurt this year, but 39 points that's not commensurate to his pay. I know his playoff was better too. Um, but for a guy that played mostly third-line minutes all year, $6 million is a hefty price to pay. So they have a decision to make on Hall, like I said, Bertuzzi. And then what happens with Bergeron and Crecci? And if they are willing to come back, are they willing to do it for a million bucks? Because that's essentially all that they're going to have left, given that they need to sign six, seven, eight players and only have roughly $10 million bucks to do it. It's It's not an easy calculus or formula to put together for Boston
2: over at Colorado. I I know an upset for sure with the Seattle getting by them. Do you see major changes with the avalanche heading towards next season?
1: Yeah, I do, and there is, so the Avs, the Bruins, and the Lightning are all kind of in very similar cap situations. They have somewhere between seven to nine players to re-sign and have roughly anywhere from seven to, like, 13 million bucks to spend, which is, the math becomes daunting. We know the, the Avs weren't as deep a team this year, missing Kadri and Burakovsky, but just thinking from a down the middle perspective, JT is also a pending free agent. Can they afford to lose Comfort now too? And if not, then how do you make all the money work knowing that Nathan McKinnon's going from 6.3 to 12.6? And you know, you've got a back end that has a bunch of guys all making four to five million dollars plus with McCarr at nine. There's a reason why Sam Girard is on my trade board uh, at $5 million a year for the next four years. The, they're going to have to make a call there, and, and I think he's the odd man out playing the fourth most minutes among their blue liners, that they're, they're probably not, unless they can find the right depth pieces, going to be even further removed from a depth perspective uh, from the team that we saw win the Stanley Cup last
0: year. Chatting with Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravalli for the Horses Horse Racing Alberta. Reminder, it is uh, opening day at Century Mile this Saturday, and you can watch and wager on the Kentucky Derby as well. More info at thehorses.com. So much uh, conversation today, Frank. Um, well, we've got your crystal ball out, of course. About what the start, or not the start time, but what days these Game 3s are going to be at. Is this an, ab- um, an abnormal year for the amount of tap dancing the NHL schedule Makers are trying to do in the postseason because I just feel like if you've planned to head down to Vegas for Friday, for example, and you've bought a hotel and a plane ticket, and now this game might get moved, uh, I'd be pretty upset in that position.
1: Yeah, I understand. Uh, I do think it's complicated. There's arena availability issues, uh, there's also TV related issues. Um, you're dealing with two networks that are essentially Volleying dates back and forth to each other. Um, you even saw ESPN last week, like they have a game on on the same night as round one of the NFL draft, I should say, which is a huge ratings bonanza. Like it's clearly, you know, fifth on their priority list at best. So they're it's not easy. But I understand the point you're making. And fans just want to know. Like I can't remember being in a spot where. The, the second round has already begun and we don't have dates beyond game two and to your point could change that are set in stone. Like usually the minute the the first round ends, you know, game seven Monday night, you'd have something in your inbox saying here's all seven games for each of the four second round series. And that just hasn't happened.
2: Oil country likes to plan their parties, Frank, as you know. Oil country likes to travel. Yeah, (laughs) that too, as you know. Uh, Frank, uh, you called it too, which uh, you always seem to call it, but it was uh, Daryl Sutter being let go in Calgary yesterday, so they they don't have, uh, they're looking for a coach, they're looking for a general manager. I would expect Mm -hmm. they hire a general manager before they hire a coach, but what do you think is going to happen there?
1: Yeah, that's a guarantee, I think, that they allow their next general manager the ability to select their coach. And I actually think going forward and making the call on Daryl Sutter now was a critical part of then even completing the GM hiring process because I think that made the job a lot less attractive. Look, it's still one of 32. Would someone sign up to take it uh, to work in Canada? Of course they would. But... To do it and and inherit a coach that was bulletproof and knew he was bulletproof, I think was going to be really problematic. There were a number of reasons why they had to make the call. Um, He had alienated a significant chunk of people in that organization from players all the way through to the front office. And now what I think is exciting, uh, and I'd imagine there's not very many Flames fans listening to Oilers now, but what I think is exciting about the position is you now have a chance to rebound and, and have this team that a lot of people viewed as a playoff roster uh, in new hands with new wrinkles and can bounce back and hopefully for everyone's sake um, breathe a little bit back into the battle of Alberta.
0: Hopefully, hopefully we get to experience that because it was quite a rush last year, uh, certainly up here. And I imagine yeah. right across the hockey world, Frank, always a treat to get to talk to you. We'll do so a little later on this week. Okay. Okay.
1: Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. Frank, when are you coming back to Edmonton? Uh, As soon as I can. Honestly, I I am itching to get back out there and and get on the road again. So
2: there's an outside chance this round, Cam. Okay. Pub 1905. We'll Uh, be there. (laughs) uh, (laughs) i
0: I know you'll be in. (laughs) Thanks, Frank. Frank Zarevalli, everybody, from Daily Faceoff. We'll press pause on Oilers now. Brendan and Cam with you today. And Escott Cam Moon with you for the next hour and a half. Yeah, we're with you till 3 o'clock this afternoon and every afternoon, in fact, through the Oilers' playoff run. Game one tomorrow night, 7 30. Puck drop on 6 30. Chatter coverage following the 5.30 news. Love so much hockey coverage on these airwaves. I love it. Oilers Now Injury Report brought to you all season long by James H. Brown. Injury lawyers, when accidents happen, go to JamesH.Brown.com. Matthias Janmark trying his best to work his way back into the Oilers lineup. Lower body injury there, blocked the shot in the first round. Seems like he might. Have a chance at playing in this series, but everything is sort of cloaked and veiled right now in the playoffs, as we are well aware. As for the Golden Knights cam, we looked it up. Braden McNabb is likely ready to go again when this series begins, so you get that imposing presence on their back line. But they don't have goaltender Logan Thompson, uh, so there's their starter sitting out. It'll be Bressois in net. We'll break that down in Protect the Net for Hugh Porter yeah. and our friend at Solve Cyber Security a little later on in this show. But uh, Logan Thompson not the man, so he's hurt as is Nolan Patrick, who frankly hasn't been healthy in his NHL no. career.
2: No, so yeah, he hasn't been a, a factor for that team all year. But yeah, getting Braden McNabb back, that's a physical presence on
0: that back end. Was he the one that played with McDavid and Junior? Or is the current that's Curtis McDermott? Yeah. McNabb played for the Kooteny Ice. Okay. It's so a Western so League. It's a Western League. Well, there you go. That says everything you need to know right there. <laughs> All right. We will, uh, we'll send it away to Randy. He'll take care of the headlines here and then come back with Darren Millard. He hosts uh, Golden Knights television broadcasts, a wholesale look at round two, Oilers Knights. When we come back on Oilers Now.